Hi, I'm Michael Rueda, and welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast series where I will explore issues and considerations relevant to those who are making a career out of their talent. My guests, who are experts in their field, will join me each week to dig deep into topics such as intellectual property and protecting your brand, contracts with advisors and agents, and tax and estate planning, to name a few. I hope you enjoy listening to these podcasts as much as I enjoy hosting them. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy. I'm going to introduce today's guest. Today, I'm lucky to have with me Deborah Greaves. She's a partner in our Withers Los Angeles office. Deborah's practice focuses on providing domestic and global intellectual property advice and protection strategy in the fashion, food, and consumer products, retail, and technology sectors. Deborah has extensive in-house legal experience at top apparel companies, is a frequent speaker on IP and fashion law subjects, and serves as an adjunct professor teaching fashion law, fashion law business transactions, retail, and fashion courses at Loyola Law School. Hello, Deborah. How are you today? Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me. I know you have a very busy schedule. As I mentioned to you when I invited you to join me on this podcast, we do quite a bit of work together and a lot of the IP advice that you provide clients that we work together on is not only interesting to me, but interesting to our clients. So I've always wanted to pick your brain and ask you questions about some of the experiences you've had and how you've accumulated the expertise over time. So I've picked some some topics that I think would be interesting to me, to clients we have, and, and to their peers. So if you don't mind, I'm going to dive right into our questions and feel free to ask me some questions back if you'd like. One of the things that I think about and that I think about when we're working together is, is there regular diligence that you advise your clients to engage in before they agree to license their name, their image, or their likeness to a particular brand? There's a a whole realm of diligence that clients should consider. First of all, if someone's going to enter into a license agreement, we have to assume that they have the rights to license whatever name it is that they want to license. So if it's your name, it's probably likely that you're going to be able to license it unless, of course, someone else has the same name and they've already licensed that name. You might run into some issues. But you do always want to make sure that whatever you're licensing, you have the rights to that. On the other hand, you want to make sure that your licensing partner is a qualified partner. There's nothing worse than getting wrapped into a three-year license agreement to later find out that the licensee is not capable of executing the agreement that they signed with you. And now all of a sudden, maybe they're putting no product out on the market. They're putting some standard market product out Mm -hmm. on the market. So it's really important to understand who your partner is. And you also want to understand what else your partner is doing. Are they licensing competitors? Are they licensing products or other brands that maybe have bad reputations? So you don't want to be associated with any licensing partner that could potentially damage your reputation. Right. In today's environment where in some cases with for example, pro sports athletes, the individual's brands could rival the value of the brand that they decide, the company that they decide to work with. So as I've seen in some cases, it seems even more important that you ensure the brand that you're deciding to work with is a good partner. And as you mentioned, some of the products have lives of their own and they exist in the marketplace for quite some time and it's hard, it's hard to get rid of. One of the things that you've talked about before is 
the role that the brand plays in the marketplace, maybe how outspoken their executives might be. Can you elaborate a bit on advising a client in considering not only the brand and their products, but the activities behind the brand, some of the other things the brands might be doing and touching upon? Sure. So we see uh, waves of, I'll call it activism, brand activism. Currently, the climate in the U.S., you have a lot of brand activism, and I've seen brand activism occur at various periods over time, sometimes more than others. It's just that right now we happen to be in a very active period of activism. And brands can get very political. They can also have causes. We have a lot of cause brands. For example, they're donating maybe a portion of all the proceeds to a particular charity, or they might be on a diversity campaign or a sustainability Mm -hmm. campaign. So there's all these different causes that brands can undertake. And it can really benefit an athlete or the owner of a brand to associate itself with another brand where they share the same causes and the same goals, because that can elevate, not only can it help elevate the cause, but it can also elevate the image of not only the licensor, meaning the athlete, but also the brand that they're working with. So though, if it's a cause that you don't align with, or they start down a road that is very contrary to your core beliefs, you have to think about that. I'll give you a great example. What if you're sure. conservative, super conservative, and you are a Trump follower, and all of a sudden the brand that you are licensed with turns very, very the other way and goes starts doing a lot of anti-Trump stuff. That's not going to be comfortable to you. So that's something else you have to consider. That's really true. And I mean, a lot of people that we work with, whether they're athletes or other celebrities, so to speak, have their own charities, their own topics that they're really outspoken on. So the alignment of interests, not just the direct interests in terms of what type of brand is this in the marketplace of competitive brands, the diligence, it's a great point, has to go beyond what you see initially. In terms of diligence, is there sort of a mental to-do list with respect to an athlete or celebrity protecting a particular trademark or another form of IP? Well, certainly anytime you're going to start promoting your brand, you want to protect your rights. So you would want to secure trademark registration for your name. And maybe if you have a logo that you've developed, that's Mm -hmm. sort of your personal branding also to protect that. And you want to protect it for a variety of reasons. The first is that you don't want anybody else to use it. And it's much more difficult to enforce unauthorized users if you don't have the registration. On the flip side, you want to make sure that nobody else has registered uh, that mark uh, because you don't want someone to come after you for the unauthorized use of that mark. And while generally you would think that athletes' names are not going to be Commons. So if you just register your name, you're not going to have an issue. There are a lot of names in this country that are very common. For example, John Smith. Now, I'm not saying that there's a lot of athletes named John Smith, but what if that was your name? So these are the things that you have to be conscious about, not only being proactive in defending your name, but also making sure you're not violating anybody else's rights. Beyond names, you see catchphrases or slogans. And I remember back in maybe 2012, 13, and around that time when Jeremy Lin was on fire for the New York Knicks and Lin Sanity was the term associated with his magnificent run. 
I read at one point that whoever was advising him went to try to uh, trademark that term and somebody had gone and trademarked it ahead of him. When is it or when would you advise someone to think about trademarking, catchphrases, slogans, things that are associated with their individual brand? Is that something that you do early on? Is it a wait and see type thing? Let me see how significant this becomes, or do you take the conservative approach and try to advise on protecting things like that as soon as they become a thing? Well, I mean, in an ideal world, you would protect it as soon as it becomes a thing because you would want to have the opportunity to monetize it, put it on t-shirts, really exploit Mm -hmm. that wave. But the reality is, is that sometimes you don't know if these things are going to catch or it's not what's foremost on your mind. Something else might be more important, like making it to the next game. Right. So we do have common law rights in the U.S. If you're using a mark and you haven't registered it, you very likely have seen your rights. So if someone else comes along and registers it before you, you can oppose, maybe even cancel that registration if it issues. It's not the easiest path to obtain your registration. It's going to cost you more and take longer to go through that opposition and or cancellation proceeding. At the end of the day, you would still be able to get the registration for yourself, but it's a lot easier if you just go out and are the first one to apply for it. And in terms of cost, one of the questions I always get right away when someone's asking me about protecting a mark is, is this something I just do in the US? Am I protecting it globally? And it's a valid question, right? I think they're thinking about the marketplace for whatever goods their marks will appear on. But to a non-IP lawyer, it's a puzzling question. What would your advice be in that scenario? Again, is this is one of those tricky things because we don't have crystal balls. I mean, you have right. to assume that if you're going to be successful, that you're going to be global because it is a global world. Trademark rights are territorial, so they only apply and they're only enforceable in the country in which you register them. Generally, we recommend uh, to our clients that when they're thinking about registration, they start with their home country, but then they think about where is the product going to be distributed, where is it going to be manufactured, and where is it most likely to be counterfeited or ripped off, if you will. And those are the strategic decisions. The other decision, though, is budget, because Mm -hmm. it costs money to go to these different countries and register. So you want to be strategic about it and not just open up the purse. For a young athlete who's maybe just starting out, you start with the United States, and then maybe you do some defensive registrations, like, for example, the one that we always recommend is China. And one of the reasons is that if someone else registers before you in China, it's very Mm -hmm. hard to get that registration back. And then you look at maybe if you have ties to another country, like, for example, you're in a sport that's very, very popular in Brazil. Maybe you want to then go to Brazil because you know that's where you're going to have popularity. So for each sport, for each athlete, there's a strategy that we map out for them. And we also consider the budget. And then um, how we execute that is going to depend on all those different factors. That's interesting. No matter the athlete or the celebrity, I know budget is always a concern and their reach and the need to be expansive with protection is a valid question. I think your answer makes it clear that maybe the conservative approach is the right approach to take. Some of the other deals that our clients engage in tend to be a little bit more, let's say, involved with a particular brand. We see a lot of 
collections or brand lines that our clients, beyond just endorsing or licensing their name and image, they've now taken on a different role within that brand, right? They have a product that is associated with their name. Can you tell me about what those arrangements look like, the advice you have to anyone considering a deal like that or currently involved in a deal like that? What are your to-do items in, in terms of protecting clients that are involved in something like that? So in those types of collaboration deals, uh, some of the reputational risks that we talked about before should be considered. One of the good things about those deals is that you're not tied into them long-term generally. So if your career is growing or you want to keep a lot of different options open, a collaboration deal usually has a very short duration and it won't interfere with other things that you're doing. But you do want to be sure that the other brand is reputable and able to execute. You want to be concerned about who's going to own the rights to that collaborative product. Sometimes the, say, athlete and the brand will develop a a special logo or a special label for that Mm -hmm. particular product. So who owns that label? Who can register that label? What happens to the label after the deal is done? Digital assets too, because a lot of times these collaborations are really promoted very heavily through social media and who's going to own all of that content that's created around that collaborative deal. That's interesting. Does the athlete or the licensor, do they have good standing to negotiate the right to own that collaborated on logo? Is that typically the case or is it a deal by deal scenario where the company might keep it and not be able to use it so long as the the licensor isn't participating in the collaboration? I've seen it go both ways, but either way, regardless of who owns it, they Mm -hmm. don't use it without the other party. If it's a co-branding, they're not going to use it. And this is kind of the same with the digital assets. What I've seen is that maybe one party owns the assets, but the other party has a royalty-free perpetual license to use those assets for their own purpose. So you're the athlete, you maybe don't have the copyright in those photos that you've done with the brand, but you have the right to use them on your social media and other marketing activities. It becomes sort of a historical type right to use. This has been great, Deborah. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. The NIL movement hitting the States in the very near future a number of student athletes will go out to the marketplace and begin to try to monetize their name, image, and likeness. And most of those student athletes won't have the resources to hire people like you. What are some of the things you would encourage student athletes to be mindful of when they're entering into these new deals? Again, they're doing this on their own. They're not likely going to be able to hire lawyers or proper advisors. What would you encourage them to do to protect themselves to a certain extent when they're signing these new agreements? One of the hardest things for every client I deal with is emphasizing to them that they should read the agreement because no one likes to read contracts. They're very (laughs) difficult to understand, right? Yeah, I agree. So, For these student athletes, there can be so many traps in these agreements. They need to be very careful about exclusivity and competition because it could tie them up for a long period of time unintentionally. They need to be very careful about 
the third party that comes to them who's offering to pay them this and pay them that in exchange they're going to want to own part of their IP. So going to somehow gain an ownership interest in their name or an ownership interest in their brand if they've developed a little mini brand or a tagline. We'll fund you. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll endorse you. We'll give you this, this, and that. In exchange, you give us 50% of your name or your IP rights. You need to be very careful about that stuff. Yeah. Those are the two that really come to mind. But I would say that read the agreement. And if you can, get someone who's a professional to read it for you because they will see things in there that may seem unimportant to you, but actually are extremely important in the long run. Right. I laugh when you talk about reading contracts and I've been doing this for a long time and uh, reading contracts is, uh, it doesn't get more fun over time. That's for sure. Um, And it's funny when you talk about funding a particular project and owning the IP, I've seen those deals, a couple college athletes coming out of college and they weren't lucrative deals. It wasn't meant to be a lucrative deal. Everybody was on good terms, but suddenly in the future, whatever the IP was became valuable. And when we went to figure out who owned the IP, it was a surprise. The athlete didn't own it and he should have. I feel the same way you do. It's a concern that I have. And and I think your advice is very much on point. I hope we have enough people to will take that to heart and apply it in the next year because it's going to be a challenging year for, there will be a lot of opportunities. There will be some challenges. I do want to thank you for your time. I had a lot of fun listening to you elaborate on your experience and expertise. I always wish we had more time. Thank you very much for joining me. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.